Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Tomorrow's gonna be Hey everybody, welcome to Girling at the Green here on AM860 The Answer in Portland, WEEU and Reading, Pennsylvania and the Golf News Network. I'm JT. And of course, as you know, this is the show where we talk to the real characters, curmudgeons, and carefree souls that make up this fun game of golf and make life interesting. This segment is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and Ben Hogan Golf, Factory Director factory direct clubs to you at factory direct prices benhogan.com well this is an interview i've wanted to do for an awful long time and finally came to fruition frank nobolo is joining with us today as you know frank is a commentator on golf channel and cbs uh but he also played the tours for a good bit back in the 90s and early 2000s and it's really quite a privilege to have him on the show hi frank well, hi, Jeff. Thanks. I think I fit into the curmudgeon category, so um, <laughs> nice to be on your show. Well, let's get uh, the historical stuff out of the way. Uh, how, when, where, and why did you start to play golf? Uh, well, how is um, is an interesting one, really. I, I, my first love was tennis, and I uh, – do you want the long version or the short version? Oh, well, long version's <laughs> fine, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll try and give you a minute, uh, one in between, put it that way. But, um, yeah, I, I was playing tennis. That was my first love. Uh, growing up in New Zealand, you're exposed to a lot of sports. Rugby league, which is a derivative of rugby, you know, soccer, athletics, you name it. Mm-hmm. I did it. and uh, But tennis was the one that I really liked. Um, and I liked the fact that it was an individual sport. Uh, I liked the fact that there was a you needed a big skill set. I liked the fact that the ball was moving. There was a confined court, all of those things. And uh, But sadly, I happened to be playing or I went to school with a guy called Mark Lewis and his older brother, Chris Lewis, was more famous for losing a, a Wimbledon final to John McEnroe. So I was fairly good for, for my area, but with regard to Mark Lewis, he was considerably better, so that frustrated the hell out of me. But um, there were three <laughs> of us. There was Mark, myself, and a guy called Chris Dreen, who um, was a golfer. He grew up in a golfing family, and, and one weekend we didn't have a tennis tournament. I was 13. So he suggested we go to this local public facility called Chamberlain Park, and uh, so we did. We got um, we had, sadly we had to stop because of uh, daylight. We ran out of daylight. No, I was 101 for 15 holes uh, when I was 13, and I thought, oh great, here's another game I could play. You know, should be able to get good real quick. It wasn't quite the way, but but I, I loved uh, all, all the, the multifaceted areas that golf. Um, is, you know, from short game, long game, in between the years, you know, putting, chipping, competing, all of that. And then my parents were going through a divorce when I was 16. So I could, uh, you know, golf in some respects was my savior. 
Sure. So, you know, I could just go ahead and, and play. And, and uh, you would normally you played with, if you were fairly good, you played with people that were older, adults. So you learn, you know, you learn some common courtesies and decencies, um, as well as you learn some, you know, pretty strong facts about life, uh, especially when you competed with, with people that are 10, 20 years older than you. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, there was a, it was a great uh, indicator for me on, on the way in which I wanted to go. And, and then I was lucky to get good relatively quick. Then I had an option of um, either, Finding something else or turning pro because I I didn't have any money so I turned pro when I was nineteen and and really the rest is history. Played all through Australia, Asia, uh, lived in London for you know, nearly a dozen years and then finally came over to America in nineteen ninety six. I've been I, here since. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because uh, you know a version of that story is kind of true for like Ian Poulter and Faraday and that uh, you know Faraday left school and. You know, Poulter fudged, but he turned pro and that I I find that really fascinating that that you and those other guys really just jumped on it and went for it. Most people at, at that age, at you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, whatever, they're they're still trying to figure out which way uh, the sun comes up. And and I think that's great that you guys charged right into it and went for it. How difficult was it yeah. for you in those first years? Well, well, we were no different to anyone else at age. I think we were also trying to figure out, you know, how the sun went up. <laughs> but, um, you know, you you find a lot of uh, similarities in all sorts of individual sports with, for example, only children, you know, Tiger Woods comes to mind. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, so, so a lot of sportsmen either, you know, struggling through their um, teenage years, you know, they gravitate to a sport where they can really lose themselves. And also the sport requires a lot of time, you know, golf itself, you know, it's sure. four and a half rounds to play around a golf. Plus, you know, if you go and practice for a couple of hours, there's, you know, there's eight hours in a day golf. So, so it's, it's, it consumed a lot of your time. So if you were frustrated or confused with the way in which the world was as a teenager, you know, you could carve out, you know, half of your day. So it wasn't like there were, you know, anything different from any other teenager. It's just that you had something to you know, obsess about and, and uh, just, you know, just jump in in the deep end. And, and also we were coming from areas of, you know, America is this great melting pot, right? So I think there's, there's a very easy system to measure someone's ability in America in a lot of sports. But when you were coming from a place like New Zealand, it wasn't. You had to travel afar to, to get a decent barometer mm -hmm. of how good or not so good you were. Was the competition fairly fierce between New Zealand and Australia? I mean, you're relatively close there. Um, compared, yeah, compared yeah, to, yeah. I, I would say we were envious. Uh, New Zealand excels really in one sport, um, which is rugby. We had a lot of really great middle distance runners and rowers. I mean, a lot of sports really where you sit down and, and something else doesn't work where you were pretty good at. But, um, you know, Australia is this big landmass, nearly the same size as America. And uh, their population, I'm going to say, is through four times ours. But they're prolific. And, and I, I work with Ian Baker Finch now, and we were sort of reminiscing over the years. And uh, the humor that you get between an Australian and a New Zealand is a bit like a Scot and an Englishman or a mm -hmm. Canadian and an American. It can be barbed at times, but when you're in a different country outside those two where, that you inhabited, then you're best of friends. And and I remember telling Ian, I said, Ian, you always got it the wrong way. We were, we were envious because Australia, you look at the Olympics, which is coming up. I mean, they, they're always like the fourth, you know, third or fourth country, really, with Olympic golds and things like that. Mm -hmm. Prolific in so many different sports. And in a sport like golf, 
Um, you know, they're, uh, they're blessed with, with how many great golf courses they have. So when you grew up, for example, in Melbourne, when I first played on those golf courses, I'm like, wow, you know, it, it's like growing up in the Hamptons. You get to play those golf courses, you can't but be a good player. So, yeah, growing up a very small country close to a big successful one was, uh, you know, it was a double-edged sword. Sure. I actually played some. I never got to play in New Zealand. I never spent much time there. I went to Australia several times uh, in previous line of work, but um, I played a few in Australia and, you know, they took it seriously. I can tell you that they, the people there, I mean, they were having fun and, and don't get me wrong, but the, the way they kept up their courses and the way, you know, they had pro shops that looked very similar, some of them to the pro shops in America. So they were pretty serious about their golf down there. Yeah, I would say that the character of an Australasian, whether that be Australia or New Zealand, they take their sports seriously, but they don't take themselves too seriously. No. And uh, you know, we would call it a tall poppy syndrome. If someone was a little cocky or sort of felt like they'd discovered <laughs> the way in which the world worked, I mean, you got your, your legs cut off pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty humbling experience, but it was good. It, so it was easier when you travel. Um and when you went further afield to places like America, where you know they sort of have this unbridled confidence, which which I think is great, but but at the same token, too, a little bit of tough love doesn't hurt either. No, no, that and of course they were all very kind to me because I was a, a visiting American and they wanted to show me a good time. But I think some of those boys I played with, if you were in their Saturday morning group, I think you better be on your toes. I'll just put it that way. They weren't. They were, <laughs> they were just uh, tolerating me. I'll just say that. It, it, but it was fun, Frank. It was a lot of fun. And I loved Australia. It was great. I would have liked to spend more time in, in New Zealand, but really it was just around the airport to catch the next flight over to uh, Sydney. So anyway, it's all be good. We are going to take a break. <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. <clears throat> we're going to take a break here on Grilling at the Green. We're going to be back with uh, Frank Nabilo from Golf Channel and CBS and World Traveler right after this. Stay with us. everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to... Um, what is this show? Oh, yeah, Grilling at the Green. I'm your host, JT, and we'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and also Ben Hogan Golf, tour quality clubs at factory direct prices. That's BenHoganGolf.com. We've got Frank Nabilo with us today. Um, great stuff. Frank is, is I don't know, he, you've become, to me, and not just because you're on the show, but it's true, you've become one of the iconic voices of golf for me. Okay, because you're always you take a really good perspective. You've got a tour player's perspective, but you've also got a broadcaster's perspective. Um, you know, you you and and believe me, 
Frank, this is this is a compliment because I'm your age. You've lived long enough to know what goes on in the world. And and that stuff all comes out in your analysis. And I really I really like it. So there you go. Well, well, thank you. But basically, you've described someone that's very confused, which is exactly <laughs> what I am. But, yeah. No, I, I, when I uh, to be truthful, Jeff, when I played, um, I don't know, for some reason, you could my, my wife would probably tell you better than I did. But I like the guy in the gallery I, more so than the people running the events. Yeah. So and for some reason, the, there was a nice rapport. You know, there was the odd tournament. Obviously, we you got no disagreement with someone behind the ropes. But generally, for some reason, I don't know, it was the beard, you know, when I started to grow that or whatever, it was different. But, um, you know, the, 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 I, I always felt that warmth, so to speak, and they, they knew that you were trying. And so in a weird way, um, I've always been anti-establishment. So when I try and do TV, that's really all I try and do is, is you know, I hate conformity to a certain degree. Sure. Um, and and I just think the the viewing public, you know, I know when we're talking and they want us to shut up and all that. And sometimes there are sales elements you got to talk about and certain things. You know, there there is a there is a system amongst the madness. But um, you know, you just always think you you know you you want the viewer to to hopefully realize that you you are trying to you know, do, do as good a job as you can to help them and maybe point something out. Um, well, yeah, if you do that. Then, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and, it's yeah. all good. What? Um. What's what do you think, Frank, is the coolest thing you've ever seen while you've been a commentator on the golf course? Something that happened on the golf course. Maybe it's the greatest shot you've ever seen. Maybe it's uh, an act of kindness. I don't know. That's up to you. But just what would that be? Well, I actually look at it the other way around, Jeff, I, you know, because I. You know, to me, TV is about solving problems, really. Sure. So we see so many great shots especially on the PGA Tour. I'm not trying to promote the PGA Tour, but we see the best players playing the best condition golf courses every single week. So, you know, you see hole-in-ones, albatross, you see the craziest things, chip-ins, 40-footers going. And obviously TV, you know, you're going to show more of that. Believe it or not, I think we should show more bad stuff. Um, But then players feel like they've been picked on. But but we make the game sometimes look really easy. And, And I know... The, if you talk to the professionals themselves that are playing today, they, that's their criticism. Like, you know, it's not that easy, but I'm like, I understand that. But we are showing the people playing the best golf this week. So I don't think people really want to watch the worst golf that week showed, but every now and again, throwing a little bit in. So, you know, I can't really answer your question about the best shot. I know when I was playing, you know, I saw Tiger Woods hit some shots that I've never ever seen anyone else hit. And um, even one comes to mind, actually, at Hazeltine, Anyway, I used to be very good friends with Ernie Else. I mean, we when I was playing in those days, and I remember Ernie having wasn't as a PGA Championship Hazel team. I think it was the ninth hole, and Ernie and Tiger had hit it about the same distance. And uh, Tiger was in a fairway bunker, standing on the side of the slope, and Ernie was sitting out the fairway, you know, with a long iron. He hits it on the green, and that. And next minute, he sees this ball flying out of the fairway bunker from like 240 yards or whatever with a three-arm with a hanging lie, lip in front. <clears throat> and Ernie said it's the greatest shot he's ever seen. And um, that's pretty good when a, when a guy got to number one in the world and, and those two were like you know the best two players in the world. Sure. I do remember see, seeing Seve hit a shot, struggling to make the cut, now that I'm talking right now. It's, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the golf course now. Uh, Sunningdale. 
it was the European Open, and uh, there's a par five in the back nine. And and seriously, you know, uh, Seve was going through a tough time, um, and uh, he couldn't hit a. You know, his back was gone. He couldn't hit a cow in the butt with a banjo yeah. the way he was playing at the time. But he was playing on pure heart. And I happened to be playing really good, and you know, I'm like jazzing along. I shot like 64 the day before, and you know, and there I am. I'm like, hey, I'm really impressing him. This is great. And meanwhile, he's impressed. He's struggling, but he's trying to. His pride is telling him he can't. He can't miss the cut. And there was a uh, there was a uh, fairway bunk on this par five, and he took a three wood out. And I swear to God, I couldn't hit a seven on over this lip. And he hit a three wood out and got it over the lip and onto the front of the green. <laughs> and then the last hole, he hit it right into the fairway bunk. All he could do was pitch it out, and he had about 100 and something yards. He walked all the way up to the green and back, and he got it up and down, and he missed a cut by a shot. Oh. And um, in my golf journal days, if you've ever heard me talk about him, yeah. it's, it's hard like that you see very rarely in a player, and those those are the shots that stick out. But broadcasting, yeah, we get spoiled. We see, we see the best of everything. And uh, so does the viewer, hopefully, yeah. But it's it's an amazing game. The way these guys play in this generation, I, I some of my most enjoyable time is just literally going on the range, standing you know eight or ten feet behind these guys and watching them hit shot after shot. And um, it's impressive. You know, Bubba Watson's one of my best, you know, most enjoyable watches on the range. On the range, to be honest, I, it's unmachine like, but it's it's just so impressive. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> Bubba's a little unorthodox, but uh, man, there is some talent there, big talent there. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I saw, I saw, I got to know him a little bit in China of all places, HSB Championship, and there was a flag out there about 190 yards, 200 yards, and uh, you know, there's no one else for him to talk to, so he's starting to talk to me, and and he was hitting these seven irons, literally like a baseball pitcher, you know, high right draw, you know. You know, high left cut. You know, low right. Like literally, like a like a world class pitcher would throw pitches over a plate. It was phenomenal. <laughs> uh, he seems like, um, he just seems like a really good guy. You know, he's he's got. We've all got our quirks, and I know he's been picked on over the years a few times by some of his quirks. Doesn't bother me a bit. Not that anybody cares what I think, but. Uh, Man, he's got a lot of talent. Frank and I are going to take a break. We're going to come back and wrap up the regular show. And I think Frank's going to uh, stick around for after hours and we can swap dirty stories or something. But we'll be right back here on Grilling at the Green. JT, and this part of Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan Golf. Check them out online at BenHoganGolf.com. Everybody, welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM 860, The Answer, and WEEU in uh, Pennsylvania. We thank you for being with us. Uh, on a local note here from the Portland area, don't forget our friends down at Langdon Farms and their wonderful restaurant there at uh, Langdon Farms Grill every Friday night. They have a prime rib special. Pretty good stuff, uh, even coming from me, who's uh, kind of a professional cook at times. If you'd like to email us, it's very simple, info at grillingatthegreen.net. We're talking with Frank Nobolo today, who now is a CBS guy. You get to wear the little eye on the blue blazer, right, on the pocket there? 
Correct, yeah. 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 They call it the Tiffany Network. <laughs> That's all good. So I wanted to ask you, when when you when you're doing a tournament, <clears throat> Frank, like um the Masters, or even I think you're taking off in a day or so to go do the John Deere and stuff like that. What's the hardest part of your job now? Wow. Um, I never really thought of it like that. It's a good question. Um, I, I think the hardest part is is not is trying to not lose perspective of what exactly is happening. Um, I remember. I know you've had you've had him on your show, Keith Hershler. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the first producer that I ever worked with in my early days at the Golf Channel, and to this day, I, I still remember a lot of things that he and also my first host that I worked with, Jim Kelly, told me on a regular basis. And to this day, I speak to both of them. But, uh, you know, Keith, I remember him saying once, you know, if you've got something more important to say than, than the golf itself, you should think about getting another job. And, you know, people often take that the wrong way. Sure. And to sort of explain it in a different way, he said, well, you know, if you and I were playing golf today, you wouldn't be talking when I'm heading. You know, we're talking between. And so the broadcast, in, in my opinion, and I agree with Keith, has to be built around that. So the, the biggest fear and the hardest thing is is getting it wrong. Um, I've been lucky enough to work with just about everybody in the business that I've respected. And, and Peter Ellis, the late Peter Ellis, is another one. And I got to work with him with BBC with the Open Championship, where I'm going to actually hit in a couple of weeks' time. It'll be the first Open, believe it or not, that, I, that, I'll, that I'll, be, I'll do without him. And um, we were just chatting, and I was sort of picking his brains and, and about the differences in, in TV and how some people do it and some people don't. Sure. And he just said his biggest bugbear was he said often he thinks the spaces are in the wrong places. And I agree with him. And I think, you know, I, I watch a lot of sport now because I, I really want to be good at my job, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to get better. It's it's uh, I've been lucky enough CBS picked me up, and, and I wanted to – finally streamline and, and be really good at one thing rather than jack of all trades, master of none. And so one of the hardest things is timing is to, to know when to bring the walker in, bring your analyst in to lay out, but it's all around the shots being hit. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing. And, that, and, and you always, when I put my headset down at the end of the day, I, I often sort of, you know, just do a little quick test. Like, you know, did I irritate the viewer or, you know, did I, I, I don't mind, invoking some thoughts with the viewer to make them think differently, even they're going to disagree. But did, did I interfere with their, um, their enjoyment of the golf? Mm-hmm. Because if the answer is the latter, then I haven't done my job. Yeah, I know when, um, believe it or not, that's one of the tough things about being a, a radio host, especially when you're first getting started is stepping on people. And like you, I worked with, a couple of guys that had been in the business for a long, long time. And I started out as a rock and roll DJ in Los Angeles in college. Okay. And so it was me and the music at six o'clock in the morning. That was fine. But when you've got live people to talk to, and one of my good friends, Barry always said, you can't step on them, kid, keep your mouth shut (laughs) until they're done talking. And that was a tough lesson to learn because you want to, you know, you want to converse with them or you want to interject your thoughts. And, and uh, so I'm I'm really uh, uh, empathetic with TV announcers and stuff because I know it can be a really tough job. And like you said, you know, when do you throw it to when do you throw it to Dottie? You know, 
I don't know. Is the producer telling you to do that? Or do you know when to do that? Or is uh, the timing just right to do that? I mean, I think those are all things you learn. Well, it's a trust. You know, I've known, I work with Dottie, for example, uh, that you bring her up. <laughs> She's like my TV sister, really. Right. Um, on a, a Golf Channel NBC days. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had, you know, pre-COVID, a lot of us would have dinner. And, and discussions would come up. Say, for example, the guy that's leading the tournament and, you know, just over, over dinner. And, and you just know that that person there has, because of what they uh, reiterated the night before, that they had a lot on a particular subject, for example. So then you 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 know you can trust people and go out on a limb and create conversation around mm-hmm. the golf, and also trust their timing. Um, for example, if if you know, I'm a hole announcer now, so if you go from one hole to another, and if the previous hole announcer, whether it's the host, I and Jim Nance or Andrew Catalong, if they if it just goes a little longer into the player and the player's there in the middle of the fairway, um, I don't think. I have to say the player's name or even the hole. I can allow a Dottie Pepper or anybody else there that's on the ground to, to pick up on that. That's a trust. But they also have to trust that I'm I'm staying out of it. Mm-hmm. And at the same token, if you feel, you know, I, I always try and pick up on the rhythm of the tournament. You know, I think every single day there's like a rhythm, you know, is, is, is it, has it been raining? Is the course wet? <clears throat> maybe the flags are tucked close. Maybe the downwind holes are hard. Maybe false fronts, wh- whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, one hole just stands out that's just, you know, busting everybody's brains in. And, you know, you're always trying to find that rhythm. And then, you, you know, you mentioned music and I can't play music, but, you know, I think the great musicians, they play with that. Yeah. Um, I remember even playing chess. I'm going to go off laterally here, but a guy once told me um, it was about chess openings. I know it sounds pretty boring, but it, it was a great life's le- lesson. And I sort of, it, when you do a chess opening, you're meant to develop as many pieces as you can. And, and I reiterated some bloke had, you know, move one piece four or five times. And yeah. he said to me, he said, Frank, in order to break the rules, you must first know the rules. And I think that really works well in, in television, especially golf. So if you are going to talk over a guy hitting, for example, or a girl, you better have a good reason. If you're going to talk over whether whether Walker should be talking, there should be a damn good reason. Mm-hmm. So I think you play with that rhythm. But but yeah, it's trust. I mean, I you know sometimes I just know that Dottie's got something really good to say. So you create space or um, she she'll jerk my chain and I'll jerk her because you, you're trying to change your rhythm. You know that's what you know. McCord and Ferrity were, were brilliant at that. Yeah. Um, you know the Lance Barrow who no longer is the producer at CBS. You know if the golf was boring, um, they were like two you know two rabid dogs. He would just take the chains off them and let them go for a little while, and then, and then when the golf became good again, he'd rein them in and say, "We're we're, we're doing golf again." Yeah. So each producer, you know, I think tries to find out the the genius of, of, of their, of their own team. And, um, you know, Peter Costas, for example, went with as well, you know, like you shouldn't have five people that are, that say the same thing. Right. I mean, then it's pointless. You don't need, you don't need the other four then. And if they hate me, they might, might like one of the other broadcasters. So, you know, you, you, there needs to be a difference. Yeah. You know, sound, the way in which people look at things. I might look at golf grips. Someone else might look at balance or, you know, shoulder turns or whatever, you know, like I know that's a stupid example, but no, it's- you, know, you, you you're trying to train the viewer's eye onto something. And then hopefully, too, if the keen golfers 
um, you know, you can't teach them much in five or ten seconds, but it, you can at least point them in the right direction where maybe they'll, you know, in, in today's technological age, they can go and Google something or whatever and go, hey, let's say he was talking about, you know, like, um, you know, hovering the club or something like, why would you do that? And at least, you know, at least lead, lead the viewer down a rabbit hole where they might, they might, it might develop their own golf knowledge. There you go. Speaking of golf knowledge, that's a great segue, Frank. Thank you. Uh, here's our buddy Bruce Furman with his golf tip of the week. This is Bruce Furman. I'm the director of instruction out at Langner Farms. I'll give you a couple tips for people that fight hooks and slices. If you fight a hook, you may want to feel a little more of a left side dominant swing. You might want to feel more of a pull in your swing. So you may feel a for a right-handed player, a firmer left-hand grip and a firmer left side and good body rotation. Um, if you fight a slice, you're going to kind of do the opposite. You're going to feel more of a push in your swing. You're going to feel more of a throwing motion. You're going to feel more of a right-side dominant swing. might feel a little bit like a, a tennis topspin swing or skipping a rock on the lake. So... If you're fighting a slice, you want to be firmer with the left side and good body rotation. If you're fighting a hook, you want to feel maybe more right side, more of a throwing motion with your right side, feeling like the arms are almost passing your body. And if you do those two things, I think uh, you can help yourself if you're fighting too much of a hook or too much of a slice. I hope that helps you. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. You can find out more about Bruce Furman on the Langdon Farms website under instruction. Frank Nabilo and I will be back right after these messages. Please stay with us. everybody it's jt and this is a special version of grilling at the green grilling at the green is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef hey welcome back to grilling at the green i'm jt along with frank nabilo today um it's really an honor to have Frank on the show, and we want to thank our mutual friend, Keith Herschelin, for helping me make this possible. It was, thank you, Keith. We appreciate that. So, um, I'm a media guy. You're a big media guy now. So, I got a question to ask you, Frank, that's going to look odd for two media guys to be talking about. But <laughs> do you think sometimes, uh, and maybe this was back in the golf channel days, but sometimes we talk about our, the, the discussion panels on golf channel and stuff. They get really into the weeds on things. And I'm not talking about the stats. Brandel's always got the stats and he does a good job with that, but I'm talking about maybe there was an incident with a player or something and they keep feeding the story. Um, just like in the political news, you know, somebody does something, they stub their toe and that, that story's in the headlines for, three or four days until something else comes along. <clears throat> Sometimes I, I listen to it and I listen to it a lot and I think, come on guys, you know, go off, pick another topic, talk about another player or something. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think there was, and I spoke up about that several times. Um, you know, we just beat a dead horse. Yeah. Um, you know, or, you know, th th there's only so many Tiger Woods segments you can run. When there's 156 guys teaming it up in a major championship, and I and I would fight for you know, the, I don't think every player has to be shown. Don't get me wrong, right? But 
but you know when you when you're doing a a a preview show, for example, like the start of the week live from at the major championships, mm-hmm. which I used to really enjoy, you know, to me, if you, you you want to tell a viewer about the golf, there's all these things that they want they should know about. So that's why I used to enjoy those segments like Tita Greens and all that because it was my one chance where I really felt like I could do something and say, hey guys, you know, this is this is what's going to happen hopefully this week. You know, these are the things to look at, and then. I would I would think that the rest of it you could talk about some of the players and how they would have to attack the golf course and all those type of things. Sure. But if something popped its head up, you know, then all of a sudden that became and you see that in just about every news outlet now. Um you saw that obviously in politics over the last four years. It was just the same person being talked about over and over and over mm-hmm. on T V. And whether you were for or against them, both sides got tired about it, as they do in any any discussion. Sure. Just you know, you, you could almost hear people yelling out, enough, enough, enough. <laughs> and yeah, we were guilty, very guilty of that. Yeah, on that <clears throat> comparison there to politics, about two and a half years ago, I actually turned off the news. And I work in the that part of the world, and I couldn't take it anymore. i just like, no, I'm not doing this. Cause, uh, well, yeah, but it, it's it's like, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna, but... sure. You know, you know, because you're in the industry, it is so easy to write a negative article about anything, mm-hmm. right? Right. Anything. But to actually write a really well-balanced article that makes people think, you really have to work hard because you've got to do all your homework. Right. And I, I can, but I can just grab any site if I want to, I can grab, grab any stats. You know, I forget who it was, was, um, who was it was said, you know, uh, uh, stats are a bit like a dog peeing on a lamppost. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's you know, yeah. Use it for illumination and nothing else, right? Um, but but you know, we we you can get overboard with some of those things. But if it, but if you're using them to point out something that's that's very accurate, well, that's great. But like I said, a well balanced thing is very hard to do because then you're 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 almost arguing against yourself, and and you and you really are, you know, you you're trying to form a thesis really, and the best thesis you throw out for for everybody to think of and disprove, not just this is the way I think, my way or the highway, right? Right. Yeah, I I just uh I mean I like I like the golf channel, I like the discussions. Um I listened to a few of the the other podcasts. Uh well this isn't a pod, this is a radio show that gets converted into a podcast, but I do that, but sometimes they get stuck. You know, it's like you're stuck in third gear um on an old stick shift, you know, and you really can't go any faster and you, you're just there. And so um, is, is there such a thing as an old spaceship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that would be me, Frank, an old spaceship. <laughs> well, do you miss the golf channel? Yeah, there's things I do. I, I, you know, Tita Green's, uh, I had a lot of fun, but, but the problem, I felt like it, it, things, you know, I was getting older for a start. And, um, you know, if you ask my wife, um, I was getting frustrated and, and the, the line I always used, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Right. I, because of my, my golf career to some degree, I felt was unfinished. Um, live golf is, you know, if, if you ask you know, my bosses at wherever I work, um, my, my biggest you know, call really was, was to try and do live golf. That's, that was mm-hmm. my sort of, you know, my calling. That's what I felt was the next best thing. I just wanted to be number one part of a team on a regular basis because I thought the only way to really get good at something is to do it in a in a consistent environment. 
Well, I think you chose wisely. Frank Nabilo, we'll be back next week here on Grilling at the Green. Have a good weekend, everybody. Take care. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. And remember, the key to lower scores, a pencil with an eraser. See you next week.